Hello there, this is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it is indeed a very special Q&A, as a few weeks back I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing the fine folks at Rowan, Rook and Descartes, Grant Howitt, Chris Taylor and Mary Hamilton. As many listeners of this podcast will know, we've played a fair number of Rowan Rook and Descartes one-shots over the years, including Honey Heist, Goblin Quest, Little Helpers, Pride and Extreme Prejudice, Adventure Skeletons, Crash Pandas, Goat Crashers, and most recently, Jason Stapen's Big Vacation. To say I'm a big fan of their work is an understatement, and I'm looking forward to recording some more one-shots in their other work, Spire, and their brand new game, Heart, in the near future. If you're looking for something a little bit different for your RPG nights, then I can highly recommend having a look at their back catalogue of games. You can check out all their RPGs, including their new game Heart, and find links to the official Rowan, Rook and Descartes Discord server on their website. That's rrdgames.com. You can check out the latest one-page one-shots on Grant's Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash gshowitt. Grant and Chris also run the Hearty Dice Friends podcast, a weekly show where they answer role-playing questions from the listeners, available to download and stream wherever you find podcasts. I'll put links to Rowan Rook and Descartes' work and the team's recommendations on the What Am I Rolling website and in this episode's show notes. All right, so we'll just start with the very first question is, can you tell me a little bit about yourselves? Who are you and what do you do? Which one of us should go first? Well, you're talking now. Well, yeah, but that was that was to give people space. Oh, I see. Why don't you continue talking? That sounds good. Hello. We are we are Rowan Rook and Descartes, or more accurately, Howitt, Hamilton and Taylor. What and, do you do? <laughs> oh yeah, um, we make uh, we make role playing games. Really exciting. Yes, we have um, Chris and I write the role playing games, and Mary is a sort of giant business brain who publisher. helps. That's the yeah, word. Yeah, a there's, publisher. There's, there's a technical word for it. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the idea that you've got that on your CV. Mary is just big, big business brain. <laughs> it's like number one skill. <laughs> Interestingly, my consulting company is called Galaxy Brain. Not oh, a joke. Nice. I like that. <laughs> um, because it turned out that was free, and I couldn't come up with a better, um, a better name. <laughs> and, and we did talk about it for quite a while, we did. trying to work out what the best name was. We do role playing games, so we do. Uh, we've done Spire, we've done Heart, we've done um, Honey Heist, Jason Statham's Big Vacation, One Last Job, Goblin Quest, uh, Royal Blood. Uh, honestly, slightly too many games because we put out one a month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not, there is not, unfortunately no way to prevent Grant from writing games. We have tried. We do, lose, we do lose track of some of them. There is a magic button on the internet, and when I push it, $2,500 falls out. <laughs> so but I'm not going to gonna push stop it. pushing that button every month. <laughs> but in, order to, in order to push it, you have to do quite a difficult thing. I do, yes, sorry, yes. It's not, it's not, just, a, it's not just a magical button. I do have to feed it role-playing games. Mm. Yes. Well, we'll start with that then, if you don't mind. So, like, where do... You... Your inspirations for like sort of Rowan Rook and Descartes games come from. From my sort of quick look at your website, you sort of go into sort of two categories. You go for sort of the heavy RPG, which are very beautifully bound, like proper thick books, and then, as you said, the one-page role-playing. So, where collectively, from sort of the creator side, do you folks sort of get your inspirations from? Mary, where do you think we get it from? Um, the pair of you are um, obsessed with death. Oh, there is uh, that. 
and you've spent most of your your relationship marriage i don't know where you're at right now let's go with marriage um, can we combine the your... words bro and marriage in some way no, no that's no, mm. with brarage <laughs> yeah, yeah that's not, that sounds like a kind of cabbage or okay, yeah. uh, <laughs> relationship a substantial amount of your creative partnership has been about finding ways to explore the concept of death rebirth and the interesting ending mm. uh in different ways so when it comes to the big stuff i think that's where you go that's you can so much about our pathology absolutely yep. Um, in terms of the other stuff, uh, in terms of the smaller stuff, generally you take an animal and a crime and mm. you sort of smash them together until something funny comes out. People like animals, people want to do crime. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to pick, if not a victimless crime, then uh, you, you have to set up a bad victim yeah. and then you, you, create a, you create an animal which people just want to be, like bears or goats or, you know, what have you. Mm. And then you just, you just sort of let the details fill in themselves. Well, sometimes they sort of spiral out of really strange conversations we have. Mm. Like mm. when I got obsessed by houses being alive at one point and we made Genius Loci. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a game where you play at 1960s post office. <laughs> uh, and you eat it's other a post challenging and confronting survive. game. Uh, it's not. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's surprisingly itchio, given it our is normal a bit <laughs> yeah. You but really I learn think, a lot about yourself. <laughs> I think there's something there, that, like your, your big games take 18 months to two years to come to fruition mm-hmm. and they go through dozens of iterations and these really complex and in depth sort of thinks and i don't think certainly grant i don't think could could maintain that without some sort of pressure valve for the yeah. batshit ideas that you can't put into those games so yeah I they do blow up a lot of steam yeah like, okay, okay. So, i love the bad ideas and i, I remember when you um, when you started your uh, your um one page game patreon it was very much about going what can i do that would be finished how do i mm. <laughs> how do i make like how do i make games in a way that allows me to learn and to iterate quickly and to kind of show my working a bit finishing things is so um, valuable and yeah. so so often as creators like you get caught up in doing this massive project or like oh i'm going to do this thing but i've got to learn eight things to work out how i do it and blah, 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 blah. whereas if you can get something done there's an element of completion you can move on mm. it, it lets you it lets you sort of close that loop i will also say that as far as my personal inspirations go the only two books i can ever remember reading are Bedido street station and annihilation <laughs> <laughs> and they've informed all of my work for the last four years yeah you're an answer Oh, sorry. Yes, Neuromancer, the other thing which has informed my work for the last four years. Yes. <laughs> no, if, it, if it ain't broke, don't, you well, know, if, you, if people are still, if you're still pressing that button and people are still. still it, ain't, you know. it ain't broke, but it could be improved. <laughs> I could try reading a fourth book. Yeah, you know, we're going to add a book to the repertoire. You've got to be careful, though, because God knows what's going to happen. I tried reading House of Leaves, but it was too long. <laughs> too and big also, a last, book. La- but also, la- like, the last book gr- books that you read became, like, you wrote, a, you wrote an RPG about it for two years. Yeah, that was, that was an relation. Yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. there's a big inspiration for heart in there. Mm. It is. It is the same thing, honestly. Shut up. <laughs> you'll find out. Vandermeer will come round. He'll start asking for royalties. Yeah, exactly. You don't. You want to give it all away. You got. You got at least another two games out of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're going to sort of the more production side, then, Mary. So obviously, like we sort of said this today. Obviously, Chris and Grant are the creative brains of it. So you get mm. obviously all this stuff. So what's the sort of the process? How do you get these sort of ideas and sort of transform it or help shape it? I guess into a business. Um. <laughs> if, if possible, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's a great question because I've not considered it from that angle before. Like, this sort of happened by accident and then deliberately in that 
so we actually the first Kickstarter that Grant and I ran was for Goblin Quest, which was a good idea in 2013. When if you had a good idea, it turns out you could just do a Kickstarter and people would throw money at it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the business the way it is today. Mm. Um, and then we all worked on Unbound together, and I learned a bunch about how to print books and more importantly how not to print books and. <laughs> various other things during that process but we haven't really conceived the idea of actually like turning it into something that would um that would be sustainable it wasn't really until uh not I, I guess towards the end of the point where these two were developing spire where it became kind of clear that actually the sensible thing to do would be to properly incorporate and treat this as a serious kind of going concern and i think it's just been a process of solving one problem at a time mm. and Sometimes the problems you solve result in other second problems, and sometimes they result in solutions that are actually really useful and scalable and that keep you going. But these days, what tends to happen is Grant and Chris come up with interesting ideas. They fire them at each other for about a year, I'd say, give or take. Yeah, roughly. Ten months. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, And at which point it becomes clear that that that, that is the next big game. And thus far, we've kind of been on a cycle of one new big system every couple of years. Mm. Um, And then supplements and uh, side elements kind of in the intervening time. Um, But what I'm mostly, I guess I'm sort of standing near them, kind of with my arms out going, oh, Oh, what's happening? Just, just catching product. Yeah. Is, this, is, this, is it a big one? Is it a little one? Is it what kind of shape is this one? Okay, that's, a, that's fascinating. And then trying to go, going from there and turning it into, um, putting it into a system that we, that as far as possible, we control. And that's, it's a really interesting, um, there's a really interesting spectrum of things that you can do as a small publisher, which is what we are to to make decisions about what you own and control and therefore have risk involved in and what you decide not to have the risk but therefore don't have as much ownership or control over um we've been more by luck than judgment we've actually built a business where we own and control a lot of our distribution Mm -hmm. as well as our production and that means that we're able to survive much more effectively on our products than i think a lot of other small creators are Mm-hmm. so the fact that we do our own you know we 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 do we have our own partnerships with warehouses all that jazz mm-hmm. um that makes a surprising amount of difference to the bottom line it feels like such a massive learning curve it, it sounds mm-hmm. like anyway just like you said just sort of getting it, it all together and then just learning as you go like it, it can be i guess obviously right now it may be very scary to start off an independent rpg company i mean We'll probably come back to that later in the interview, but I want to talk about heart. Um, so, obviously, that's Very your... good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I will say it's also very good. Um, yeah. I... I'm just like, just purely from a business point of view, it really helps if the things that you're trying to make money out of are really good. Good. And, you, and also and, that uh... you're passionate about. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. In case people out there who listen to this podcast don't know, what heart is? Could you guys do a sort of a brief summary of it, and how does it differ from previous game, which is Spire? Spire was uh, urban revolution with fantasy and technology, um, and it was about subterfuge and trying to wrest control of a city that you once owned back from oppressors. And and uh, religion too, I think we. And yeah, there's a huge, a huge religious <laughs> aspect throughout. Most characters are clerics in some fashion, or uh, warlocks. 
Warlock's a heart. Warlock's a heart. Yeah. Cleric's a spur. Yeah. Um, and heart is the exploration of this kind of roiling unreality underneath that area. So it's the same people from Spire, but in a very different setting. So where we had urban, now we've got this kind of visceral dungeon crawling. Mm-hmm. And I mean that very much in the term of viscera. <laughs> um, heart oh, yes. is, is, is organic, um, and it is essentially a sentient dungeon. Because um, um, what we wanted to do, we wanted to make a essentially a, a kind of OSR game with that slight feel to it, but with a real story game slant to it. So rather than like having a pre-done map where you turn left down a corridor and you experience the room that's there, we made a game where the entire world can change based on emotion and intent. And that lets us put in a load of really strange things Mm. and really lean hard into sort of body horror um, and isolation and helplessness that people would experience in that sort of situation. All the fun stuff really you want from a role-playing game. Yeah. One of the big things we tried to um, manage was working out why on earth you would go into a dungeon at any point. Because it's a terrible plan. And unless you're backed up by, like I don't know, a university or some sort of guild, it seems like a really stupid idea to go down. So, like, in addition to having your class, which are all very um, strange because we wrote them, we've also got uh, callings, which is the reason why you keep hanging around in this ridiculous underground meat cavern. And we... We tried to focus on these sort of these desperate, um, quite tragic stories of dungeon crawling and get away from the whole sort of counting torches and how many arrows you have and that sort of thing because that involves planning. And Chris and I, I think, are averse. <laughs> We're averse. We are planning. I guess we first to say intolerant. Mm. <laughs> um, we absolutely loathe the idea of planning games or doing any sort of upkeep or bookkeeping. Mm. And so we write systems which run, I was about to say which run themselves, definitely not that, you've got to be involved. But there's there's like, we, we much like Apocalypse World, we shy away from prep. Sorry, we, we, we um, dissuade people from prepping. We try and make people try and play the game in the moment because mm. we don't think GM should do more work than players. That isn't fair. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you hit on a really nice thing there with the fact that Spire is is quite a hopeful game. I mean, mm. it's violent and yeah. it's bloody and it's not it's not a fun time, but it, it, there's hope there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Heart focuses on the tragedy. Mm. Um, it's a much sadder game, especially if you look, for instance, at like, we have a section in the adversaries, which is the, the, the enemies of the game, mm. of, of legendary monsters. And all of them are so sad. The Huntress is okay. She's fine. She's all right. But like the Basilisk but, is oh like the God, saddest yeah. thing in the game. The Basilisk just wants a hug and it kills you if you hug it. And like we have, we have a Gorgon analog. We have somebody who turns, oh, cool. turns people to stone. And he's upset because in his weird cult, everybody, everybody else fell in love and turned themselves to stone. Just so that they could be together forever. And he's the only one left. Oh, it's so sad. I'm like, that's crushing. And that's one of the biggest monsters in the game. He's, he's, he's like, you find him and he's frantically trying to catch a rat with his eyes closed so he doesn't turn to stone when he looks at it so he can eat it. And that's, like, it's, and it's like, so sad. We, we wanted to sort of have that level of, like, there's a definite pathetic level to all of our creatures, but also something loathsome. So you feel both proud and ashamed of killing things in heart, which I, I'm quite happy with. Yeah, well, then that runs through Spire as well. Like, we never wanted to, we never wanted an enemy to be like, ah, oh, it's a goblin, shit, stab it. Yeah. Mm. Everything Every- sentient is people. 
everything's people like think about think about it like it is especially inspire you can just put a knife in somebody and they die yeah Mm. like the damage of a knife versus their hit points is nothing like Mm. you will kill them yeah um do you want to can you live with yourself afterward like Mm. make decisions and we kind of set it up so that gms can lean into that and make it that really sad gray area if they want to Mm. or they can go the other way and go bigger and more bombastic with it and it's it's kind of up to them we don't try and force one direction particularly mm. yeah i that's the, the thing that stood out for me because i i am a massive fan of storytelling games and ones i don't have to use too much like you said brain power to add up maths and oh it's got this many hit points etc yeah. so i am a massive fan of, of storytelling games like you said and just going back so obviously like Mary said, like, you started off with Goblin Quest, which I did kickstart. I found my name in the back of the book. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, yeah! I was like, um, and that was my first game from you folks, and it was, it's such a fun game. But it then, as, obviously, as time's gone on and you've done your big book, it seems to get... You, you cover different genres, for sure, but it just gets sadder <laughs> as we go along. So I just wondered, oh, is, God, there, is there... Devastating. Is, I mean, are you massive fans of the sort of more political or uh, sort of the horror stuff? Or is it just... Because like you were saying before, Chris, I think, like, you based this game on emotion, which I think is such an empowerful... I love that sort of phrase, a game based on emotion. I love that. But so is that... Would you... Because that's what your games are? Or is there a particular genre that you folks really enjoy? Uh, I mean... To do? Personally, I lean heavily into horror. Mm. Like I've watched far too many horror films. Like, today, today, yeah. <laughs> today. <laughs> like ninety percent of my role-playing game library is horror-based games. I, I adore it as a genre mm. um, because I think it, I think honestly, it's one of the one of the best genres there is. Just like because there's so much hope in it in a bizarre way. Like, mm. I mean, even if you take real traditional style sort of torture porn end of the spectrum saw films. Like, they're only interesting because there's hope they'll escape. Mm-hmm. If they don't escape, it's not interesting. Or they don't try and escape, it's not interesting. So putting games with that sort of trial by emotion in them is really fun. <laughs> um, like, there's a lot of that in Inspire in the Vigilites versus the, the standard, in quotation marks, mm-hmm. Church of the Drow. Um, and, like, looking at radicalization and all this sort of stuff. And we tried to to do something interesting there but i mean i'm not i don't understand politics grant understands politics a lot more than i and mary as well and mary understands a lot of it mm. so i just do the horror stuff i think you're selling yourself a little bit short because mm. i think that the pair of you when it came to spire you thought really carefully and designed really carefully around the idea of what revolution is actually like for a colonized people yeah, I mean, um, we, we very what's, much what's, had to, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Right, but except that most, except that a lot of people don't. Um, no, no, I, taking, I, I'm not sorry, taking, that wasn't to diminish. Taking, taking dark elves and thinking about the way that they've been treated and subverting that and turning it into something in which you get a sense of what that revolution, like where that desire comes from, the, the root of that is based in the emotion and the reality of, of, of how people are living. And, you we, know, I think, we wrote it in the yeah. wake of Brexit. Yeah, and people mm-hmm. see justifiably i think people see echoes of the troubles in it people see echoes of all sorts of things um because it is in part based in putting if you put people in that situation and ask how far will you go to make a difference Mm. there is something really meaningful there and with with heart as well i think you well you know i don't know how much the pair of you have talked about this but i know that grant and i have talked about the idea of like an anti-colonialist um dungeon crawl oh absolutely yeah 
because this is a dungeon crawl where you don't get to the end and beat the dungeon. The dungeon, the dungeon eats you yeah. in some form. You don't get to change it that much. Yeah, we were re- um, really careful when writing Heart. Like one of the things we toyed with at, at, for a short moment was the idea of like a corruption score. Um, and we're like, no, we don't want the Heart to be a virus. We want it to be a thing. It's 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 alien, but it's not it's not malevolent. Yeah. Um, it's you're just you're on its turf and it's reacting Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why like um, especially if you read the splash page of heart like the heart wants to give you what you want it just doesn't understand you in any way it means well it it means well it understands desire but it's going to as it says it's going to give you what what you want or it's going to kill you trying I think I've heard you both rail about the pointlessness of traps in standard dungeons. Oh, I can't find standard. There's no point. They're just health and safety violations for the just goblins. Just make it harder to go to the bathroom. Right? <laughs> so Heart is a game that comes, from the, that comes from the standpoint that everything you're going to fight in that dungeon lives mm. there. You're in, it, you're in its home. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You, you, you are the trespasser. If you find a trap, it's because you wanted there to be a trap. Because <laughs> you expected one. Yeah. I'd like to briefly mention as well, um, just in terms of our, of our creativity coming along, this is something which I think I've noticed with Chris and I, is that we didn't take ourselves seriously for a long time. And if you look at, if you look at um, my work before, uh, before Spire, it was all sort of very quick. And like Goblin Quest, it's silly. It's yes. fun. Mm-hmm. And we're not sort of telling these big stories. I didn't view myself as someone who could, who could create art. And then in 2016, there was this big sort of, oh, actually, I can make art. Oh, actually, this matters. Mm-hmm. And I think that as we move into Heart and Spire and these, you know, these sort of things we're making what we're working on now, there's an element of we're taking ourselves seriously. We're, we're, we're like, actually, we have these, we reckon, uh, I reckon that I can tell stories about this. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a valuable thing to do. Um, and I think I kind of wish that more designers would have the confidence Confidence is the right word. The 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 safety in their in 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 their ability to to to, to be able to say, oh, actually, I actually I want to make a game about something. Mm-hmm. Actually, I want to like rather than oh, it's a silly game about goblins exploding and what have you. I think that's something really valuable, and it's been really lovely seeing the um, the itchio crowd uh, come out with some really weird stuff, which defies my understanding, but I'm sure it's great. What I found interesting with all of your games, like again, going through the back catalogue when I was doing sort of research for this interview, and yeah, you got your silly games, which you know, I, I would use to like, for, I've used quite a number of them for this podcast. I feel I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I, I've funded you guys for, for at least the last year. Fiona, but, there's a reason we all, we all showed up to the podcast. <laughs> we're, oh. we're very thankful. But then with, um, like I said, like going back through sort of Spire, so I feel actually recently, so I actually bought... Spire as a physical copy for my fiance who's in the US and I sent that across to him for our anniversary because I we're both big D&D players uh that's how we started that's how we sort of met and stuff and it got to the point where obviously there's a point where you're like well we're all quite safe in our Wizards of the Coast bubble that's nice but what other games can we get and obviously starting this has helped this Mm. podcast because then Bless him, Jacob has bought me quite a number of games, which I, <laughs> which are very, very interesting. I've, I've read through like some like Powered by the Apocalypse games, which I find really cool. Mm. But then, like uh, I, I sent him some like Blades in the Dark, and he mm. really got into sort of that sort of the sort of not darker themes. I don't want to say that, but like sort of a different genre. And I was like, ooh, mm. Spire would be excellent for that. And I actually really love the concept of Spire. It sort of goes on to my next question, the artwork for it mm. in uh, Spire, in Strata and in Heart. 
it's incredible to look at. Like it's, you've got firstly a detailed map. I love a good detailed map. Um, <laughs> well, no, I do. You say details. Yeah, I think it's detailed. Detailed, not canonical. That's all right. Layers change and shift. It's it's very confusing when you get asked occasionally, like, "Oh, what's what's this thing on the map?" I'm like, "I never heard of that. What is it?" What's it done with a floating island? We do we don't know. Tim put that in. We we have no idea. Yeah, different artists have different interpretations of Spire. So. AD, who did the majority, Adrian Stone, who did the majority of the art um, in all of the art in the book, has neon lights in his spire, which I don't think any of us thought about. Absolutely Certainly, not. I know I didn't. Um, Tim has floating islands and a variety of other things that we'd never really, again, just haven't really considered. But every there's a really nice flexibility to that. Like it goes well with the the story game aspects of what we're trying to put forward. Inspires yours. Um, and that goes for the artists as well as for the writers, which is interesting. Yeah, it's really nice working with our artists because with Adrian and, and Felix, our art briefs are maybe two sentences long. I was going to ask, like, how much information do you, do you, we, just, do you let them we, go? We give them, the te- we give them the text. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely wrong. We give them the text and we say, can we have a picture of a person stabbing another person, maybe? Adrian didn't even read the text. I, no, Adrian, I don't think Adrian read the book. <laughs> No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it didn't slow him down. He's doing no, an incredible not, job. Not even and, a pace like, miss. It's, it's working for him. Mm, so good. Felix got deep. Oh my days! Mm. Felix got super deep into the book. Uh, like it was a bit scary, but a bit amazing. It's, it's, um, like, it's a different book now that he's been involved in it. Yeah, and he's, uh, and like he's, he's defined he's, it. Spire is quite quite brisk in that I think and I'm really glad for the style because that, that, so that Adrian's style is slightly more detailed than that usual usually but we asked for like really brisk broad styles what we were after was characters that anyone could look at and then project themselves onto oh, and yeah. so and so we've ended up with this sort of um, stylized there's kind of Art Nouveau styles in there as well there's something quite grimy but it's very brisk and two-dimensional and lets you and lets you sort of impart yourself on it whereas Felix does this ultra detailed stuff um, which has this, like, which I think really relates to the personal obsession which mm. we have in heart, and that's completely by luck. Mm. Yeah, well, we didn't try especially hard. Both of them responded to um, shoutouts. I did. I, I did a call on Twitter and was like, "Hey, do you want to draw? Do you want to draw a role playing book?" Mm. And they both got in touch with us off the back of that because um, it's it's weirdly hard to find artists. I don't know. I guess it's as hard as it should be. But it's it's difficult to find artists who can maintain a quality and style for the length mm. of an entire book. Mm. Yeah, like yeah. there are and a lot of amazing artists who can put out a, just a, an astonishing picture, but they can't do that again the next day, mm. and again the next day, and again the next day. Like, and to our incredibly vague briefs, and to our incredibly <laughs> vague briefs. Like, that's not to say they are in any way worse artists. They are mm-hmm. just as good. But somebody who can illustrate a whole book to a deadline yeah. is gold dust. Yeah. What do you think the best ingredients are for a story either set in Spire or Heart? I know because you've obviously created scenarios and obviously you've got Strata and you've got the the new, um, was it Vermilion Black Ops? for Vermissian. Vermissian, sorry. Vermissian Black Ops for uh, Heart. But if someone was to do as one from scratch completely, what would you say is the best ingredients for a scenario using those systems? I read the, the Church of the Gun from Spire, and I reckon it'd get on well anywhere. The Church of the Gun is, I believe, Chris's invention. Yep, Brother Helen, uh, Church of the Gun. Brother Helen, who heard the the uh, who heard the, the voice of angels and the crack bang of cordite, uh, and it's like, like they are 
I'm not going to say that they're, they're, they're violent. They're not non-violent, but they <laughs> um, they have they 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 worship guns as holy objects, and like all all of the advances you can get in Spire are like, oh, I've got virgin birth, which means I no longer need to use the reload tag on my pistol, and it's just, just slide it's, bullets in from somewhere else. <laughs> it's this it's this really sort of it's it it, it combines two things I love in fiction, which is Catholicism and guns. And I hate, in real life, Catholicism <laughs> and guns. But I like pretend Catholicism and guns. <laughs> so yes, that's what I put in. What about you, Mary? Honestly, I just want to play with the basilisk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the basilisk from art is lovely. Oh, baby. <laughs> because there's so much wrong with him. I did. I ran a game of Spire, um, which involved um, a pub crawl. Nice. I think it's it's one of those games which it's the sort of game that really does well if you can in fact I think this is true of heart as well, if you can give your players a base and then put that base under threat for some reason. So there's this kind of there's a general thing there around like how you think about giving your players something that they value because I think without especially for Spire, giving your players something that they value and then threatening it gives you a that's such a uh, such a fundamental theme of the game that I think it's a really important thing to try to do actually in play if you can. Um, but also it's just love to have pub calls. Um, yeah. And if you give your players a bar and then threaten it with um, with Elphir on a on a bender, um, I, th- I think that can be quite entertaining. Everyone loves a bar. Everybody yeah. loves a bar. That's Everybody why we made that entire district it. of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For yeah. me, it's, it's got to be Blood Witches from Spire and Heart. Magical nice. transforming girls. Magical transforming girls. <laughs> they they're just so much fun mm. because they've got this kind of noble aspect to them in a way because they're kind of they think that some of them think they're kind of above others because they've got this power and all this sort of stuff. But they run the gamut from the kind of wood witch antlers in in dirt all the way up to I mean in um, one of the adventures Idol on Sky uh, we have a blood witch who's essentially a duchess and her name is Molly. And I love her dearly. She dresses cats, doesn't she? She, she dresses. She has loads yeah. of familiars uh, that are cats that she dresses up in little suits, and she invites people over for tea. And you have you have this you have this beautiful um, like sit down t- dinner with a blood witch. And mm. as she, as you're sitting down, like the room, the illusion she's got on the room flickers in and out, and you can see the kind of underlying lair that you're actually in. Oh, cool! And like she's genuinely nice. Like, she's not going to hurt you. She's a lovely person. <laughs> she she could sit- pluck gallons of blood out through your nose, but she, she doesn't. She could, she could <laughs> accidentally exsanguinate you. <laughs> I am... Um, what was the name of the blood witch in, in Pauline's scenario? In it, was a, it was a midwife. The midwife, sorry. Um, I forget it was a French name. She was great, though. Yeah. Mm. That's a useless bit of uh, nice audio. Bit. Hey. Hey. All right. <laughs> Hooray, I can cut out some audio. No, not at all. Um, cool. So I asked a couple of people sort of uh, like sort of to send in some questions. And someone who oh. wants to ask, I from Ringo, uh, formerly of Bad Moon Cafe, but now we of know Drafts. Ringo. You know Ringo. Yeah, we know Ringo. He could email us. What's he doing on the phone? Okay. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> at what point do you relinquish control and trust your readers and players to get it and stop hand-holding? either mechanics or characteristics. He's currently writing his own game and doing character classes, but he's not sure he would like the players to you know, take a template and do what they wish, but he doesn't know how much to do. I often relinquish control halfway through a sentence. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's the old thing of nothing survives contact with the enemy. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, anything you do is going to be screwed with. And mm. that's not a bad thing. That's what you want, right? Um, mm-hmm. So just 
just write it so that you've you've got the shopping cart to the top of the hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then like the last the last bit of description you put on it, where like, you get that hook, that thing where people go, "Yes, I want this." That's you just giving it a stern kick, and the players will take it from there. Maybe like because we've used the soapbox racer. Um, analogy before getting oh, to mate, we are very much shopping cart but yeah so shopping cart is much better because it's yeah. much less stable and we have those in the UK yeah mm. and there's like too it's many bad. people in it and one wheel's gone you know and like, and I figure like maybe like a mace a dog <laughs> yeah. a bunch of, like, like a full bin that sort of thing yeah yeah uh, that, that's that's how we do games also how we do scenario writing in that we just load a shopping trolley full of things and then leave it precariously at the top of a, of a top of a hill and, yeah, and just like, hope for the best. Oh, like of, yeah, and the NPCs are standing in the path of the of the cart. That's, yeah, that's one of our biggest do. adventures is is Kings of Silver for Spire, and <laughs> what that is is a couple of newspaper clippings, uh, an order to go and take over a district, and then some locations and NPCs. Off you go. Like, there's no you must go here. There's a scene here with this. Mm-hmm. We say. Well, if this person is angry at you, this might happen, maybe. Mm. Mm. And like that's as far as we go. Much like with the um, beats we have in Heart, so Heart is built around your um, you have you have a calling, as I mentioned earlier, and so that gives you a, a selection of scenes you'd like to see, basically from each character. Um, we have those for every NPC. It's like Here, here's some suggested scenes which might be fun if you think they'd be fun. Mm. And yeah, we we operate in quite a loose sort of everything's in this delicious soup, and mm. you simply I, I guess it's a soup and a Hill mm. broth mm. shopping cart. Oh. Yeah, there's there's yes. a delicious bowl of miso in the in the shopping, shopping carts cart. Don't hold as much liquid as you'd like. No. <laughs> I think it's super easy to overwrite an RPG. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of information that you think you need to give your players to give them fun is dramatically less than the amount of information you need to give your players in order for them to have the same thing in your head that in their heads that you do. If that makes sense. Yeah. So like, if what you're aiming for is to give people just a load of story hooks that they can take and run with. You don't need a lot of detail at all. You can do that with sort of three, four words. Um, If what you want is for people to have a very prescribed experience, then you need much, much more in the way of like authorial control. It won't work, but you can try. Um, And then at some point it just tips over into writing a novel. Naomi from Power Word Roll. Uh, she also knows where we live. I know. That <laughs> was on her show. <laughs> I know. Uh, she would like. She wanted to know uh, what was your first RPG, and then what was the RPG that changed how you saw RPGs. Um, so mine was one of the old starter sets for Advanced Dungeons Dragons, um, which I got at the tender age of nine years old. All those years. <laughs> um, and then after that, wow. <laughs> Um, and then after that, it was it was called Cthulhu. Honestly, that just changed the paradigm. I'm like, oh, cool! I don't have to go down dungeons anymore and do stuff I don't want to do. Mm. I can go and do a horror scenario and just go horribly mad. <laughs> and that just now is basically that's all I play in games. Just what you've always wanted. It is. It is, Mary. What about you, Mary? What was your first RPG? Mm. And then what changed? What RPG changed you? So I, I got into RPGs relatively late. I got in into uh, when I was at university. Um, Dungeons and Dragons fourth edition would I think be my first. Um, your first book. Oh, 3.5. Sorry, yeah. yes. Sorry, I just skipped over the entire concept of third edition for a second there. <laughs> I mean, I can, um, I can understand why. Yeah. Fourth edition, best edition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's controversial. I might have to edit that out. <laughs> no, 
Absolutely. I not. think interestingly, I think the game that changed the way I thought about RPGs was Mage: The Ascension, because you could just make shit up. There was so much open space in Mage. D and D was so, especially three point five, was so prescriptive and so explicit and deliberate about what you could do and what you can't. And Mage is just like here's a ton of stuff. Here's a a magic system that broadly speaking allows you to describe anything that you can think of and if you can persuade the gm that it's possible then you can probably do it mm. oh yeah yeah i got a lot out of that game to be fair i've never written an rpg i've written scenarios but never an actual never an actual game so mm. from a systems point of view that game st- struck me and still strikes me as being this this enormous explosion of freedom in a in a, a hobby that was very very tightly bound up to that point. My first ever role-playing game was Slay Industries. The first game that I played. I I, I ran some games a bit for my mates uh, when I was in high school. I didn't really know what I was doing. I wasn't part of a larger community. I ended up in a game in first year university of Slay Industries, which is kind of, the best I can say, is um, revolutionary Thatcherite cyberpunk. But with more rules. Yeah, so it's set on the planet uh, Slay, where it is always raining. There are six different kinds of rain, and you're Excellent. already sick to see which one it is. <laughs> um, and you had to you had to invest 310... I looked it up on my blog, because I wanted to see what the, what the numbers were. You had to invest 310 points into no fewer than 173 different skill categories. Uh. <laughs> Range right. from strength, demolitions, and torture, all the way through to lip-reading, sleeping aptitude, and sewing. All are equal under Slay's system? Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I really, I really, I, I had a lovely time playing Slay. J, uh, the GM I had was just, I just, oh, just, I, I sort of pressure wash a douche, but he did okay. Um, and and the, the 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 setting was fun. I'd also want, I want to officially apologise for conjuring that image into everyone's. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was not a cool thing to say out loud. Uh, but my, the game which changed everything. Accurate uh, though. Yeah, no, James Moran is that guy, you and I'll say that on record. <laughs> cool. Uh, the game which changed everything. Hi, James. For me. Hey, James. I think mean, likely event you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. Selling shoes in Holland or whatever it is you do now. The um, the game which changed everything for me was Dogs in the Vineyard. Oh, such a game! It's a tremendous game. Uh, I went along to a uh, to kind of uh, an open uh, India a London indie RPG meetup uh, back in 2010, 2011, and we played it. And I was like, "Oh my god, games can do this!" Mm-hmm. And it showed me that you can write a game about one specific thing very well. And that same day, I played um, Cold City. No, sorry, Hot <laughs> War. <laughs> it was either Cold City or Hot War. <laughs> I, I don't remember the name of the game, but I do remember how furious you were. Do you remember that guy who wouldn't stop talking? Yes. Oh, I wanted yes. to push him down the stairs. Anyway, know, that, that was a bad system. I didn't like that one, but Dogs in the Video was great. What are your predictions for RPGs and sort of independent RPG businesses in the near future? I appreciate <laughs> when I wrote this question, when I wrote this question, mm-hmm. I didn't really think we'd all be stuck in our houses and the world be going to rubbish. So maybe fire. maybe in the near future, not, not, ten, not 10 years. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's very hard to predict anything right now. Like the role-playing industry is doing okay. Uh, this because a lot of people are, sorry, we're doing okay. I don't know how people mm-hmm. are doing on a broader scale. People still need fun. People need Retail. fun and... <sighs> Retail is an issue. 
retail's yeah. fucked, mm-hmm. um, especially given like a, a, like a lot of the role playing industry relies on retail in America. So that's really that's really fucky. Well, and the also moment. they get a lot of their money from board games, which is a get, which is a thing where you sit around with a load of friends and pass little vectors of disease, to touch the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a challenge. Role playing games are doing okay because you can play them online with very little mm-hmm. um, difference between the. Uh, between the experiences, Mara, what do you think? You're you're a business person. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm going to say big, big, uh, big pickup in games that can be played online. There are a few different interesting scenes going on, and I think a lot of the big players, especially in America, like the big RPG publishers that publish the more traditional things, are super reliant on retail distribution. So a lot depends on how American retail recovers, and I guess whether American retail recovers in terms of selling like big hardback books. You know, if your business is mostly in like, if you publish stuff and you make your own books, there's a bunch of different ways of selling those books. In America, what you tend to have to do is sell lots of books to a distributor who then sells those books to individual friendly local game stores who then sell those books to customers. It's quite a low margin business, but it's huge. And if your business is primarily in, in that kind of triple layer of selling stuff, like if friendly local game stores don't exist or or can't sell stuff, then there's a lot of like that that's a big issue for your business. I think we might see quite a big shift in who is selling well and what the kind of power is for different bits of the industry. Um from a business point of view. Well what we're what we're seeing now in, in games being created is is kind of interesting. We're seeing a flood of this is not meant to be derogatory, but of random games. Yeah. Of of people just going, Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Which I think like, is great. Like podcasts, mm-hmm. yeah, um, mm. because because they're they've got the time. Like, mm. they've, what else you can do? You're not going anywhere, and they've they've now got currently got the time to to put that idea into into motion and see what can happen. So we're seeing a lot of smaller games and very tentative games popping up, mm. like p- games where people are very unsure of themselves. Like, I made a thing. Please look at my look at the thing. Um, and we're also seeing a lot of games that, that play with the space a little bit interestingly. Like there's a fantastic one called uh, This Discord is Full of Ghosts. Mm. So good. Uh, which I managed to play, managed to get a game of with 12 people. Mm. So you, the, the idea is that you have you, you have a completely separate Discord server to all the ones you normally use. And half of the players are ghosts and can only type. And half of the players are investigators and are only on voice comms. So the ghosts can hear the investigators talk through their walkie-talkies. And there's all these different rooms, like the stairs, the entryway. And you make a load of... The, the, the game is free, by the way, me telling a load of what the game is. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it is free. So I think you should pay for it. No, it's free. Oh, okay, well, well, pay for it anyway, yeah? Yeah, pay for it. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the idea is that the ghosts have to try and convey like who they are, like their actual name, um, how they died, and why they're still a ghost... And then the players have to get them to a room that links them to that history and then exercise them. And like, I, when I was playing, I was a ghost and somebody walks into the living room, which isn't one of my rooms. So in another room, I put a link to um, Dream a Little Dream of Me, like an, or the, the song, the, the acoustic version. Yeah. And when they see the, the other room flash, they know something's happened there. So they can go there and they press play on the video and you can drag people around the house with links and That's typing. Cool. And it kind of, it, bits of it kind of become like playing Zork because mm. you're typing and you're going, okay, we're going north. Um, but you can also just, you, you can only communicate through sound, pictures, and text. And it's, it's such a good game. 
it reminds me a bit of Ten Candles. Mm. It's a um, bit Ten Candles because, but like, but like specifically because it's using the affordances of something to mm. do to intersect with game mechanics in a re- in a way that you couldn't do in any other scenario. Yeah, like Ten Candles, you need the candles. There is mm. you have to be in physical space. You have to have those things. Without those, it's just it's not the same game. It's, it doesn't it doesn't work. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's and not I worth think, playing. And I think this Discord is full of ghosts is probably the first online game I've seen that, like, I'm sure there are others, the first one that I've seen that goes, okay, you're playing this online. How do we use that? How do we make that part of play rather than seeing it as an obstacle we have to get over? Yeah. How do we turn it into something that we use to make a better experience? Although, top Um, tip with this Discord is full of ghosts. Don't play it with 12 people the first time. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of people. There's chaos. I completely agree with you, Mary. I think so. I, I do improv, and obviously, you can't do improv with other people now. You've got to do it all online. And one of the courses I was doing, they talked about, like, all right, well, the online format shouldn't be a barrier. How can we make this better? So, we've been playing around with, like, okay, well, let's try and do a a news show, but we've got all the high tech, like Twitch stuff, and someone can do the OBS and the changes, and then the improvisers just have to come in with their own green screens. Or even if they don't have that, we could do um, a drive in news show, and you just have two people on camera, you know, in their separate houses, and people call in, etc. And it's just, you know, making use of that. And I agree that with our RPGs, you've got, I was just looking it up just now, there's Alice is Missing, the new um, yeah, yeah. one, which is all on WhatsApp, and it's completely silent. And that sounds really cool. And um, making use of the format that you have, because if you can't interact physically uh, in the same space, it shouldn't be a barrier. Like like you were saying, like, yeah, board games, you need to be in person-ish. I mean, there are like tabletop simulator and whatnot, but actually nothing's stopping role-playing games. And I think for me, seeing role-playing games being streamed on Twitch and on YouTube is so helpful because sometimes, you know, I, I, I definitely get the rules wrong. But then if I watch someone go, oh, that's how you do it. Like I, I recently just uh, finished, no, sorry, not recently, I've edited and about to put out Mouse Guard, which is a beautiful little game, but my God, there are so many rules. Yeah, that's, that's burning wheel for you. Yeah, and mm. combat was so, I, I just couldn't get my head around it until someone said, oh, it's a bit like rock, paper, scissors, except with four cards. And I was like, oh, that makes more sense. It just didn't say that in the book. In, yeah. in, its, in its 300 pages, uh, it's just like... Uh, <laughs> Mouse card doesn't need to be 300 pages. It's very beautiful. Like, the lore oh, of it's sure. really sweet. But yeah, it just, there's just so much for it. It's a, for me, it's like a role-playing game meant for children. Uh, or to encourage people to be like, oh, you can solve it with all these tests. And then it's like, but combat, it's just so many rules and there's tests and verses and independent tests. And you're like, I just, no. just, just want to... Absolutely not. Oh. I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> I think there's a big difference between what will happen with the kind of RPGs as art and what will happen with RPGs as a business. I think we're all, like human beings need play. I think that's, that gets missed a lot. We need play to be human. It's one of the things that makes us human. Um, and I think from that perspective, what we do is more important now than maybe than maybe than it's ever been in the same way that almost all arts and culture right now matter um, because they're part of what is keeping people sane and keeping them connected and keeping them safe. Um, but at the same time as that, the if we're facing a recession in the US and in the UK, that will have a big impact on people's capacity to pay for things. Um, it will have an impact on which creators can create. You know, we are in a position of great privilege being being able to do what we do. Um, not everyone gets to do that. And so it's. I, th- I think we're going to see more splintering. 
And I would like to say that I I would really like to believe that it will get easier for people to make a living in this um, environment. But I don't think right. I think right now that that's really hard to to foresee. I'd like to be part of making a difference to that. I completely agree. I think that kind of like I, we spoke to before this podcast started about your your talk you did for the the Tin Network from London and. Mm. I think it's very hard in general just to start a business if, if you've got no experience of anything like that before, but actually just having someone go through you and telling you like, these are the certain things I've experienced and sharing that it can be overwhelming, but sharing those experiences are actually super helpful because then, you know, you're not necessarily alone in this. It is hard and it will be an uphill struggle, but if you're passionate about it, then, you know, the, you, you go for it if you can. Yeah. Again, it's, it's talking yeah. from a position of privilege as well, but it's nice to know that, certainly for that you shared your experiences and people were interested in stuff so and I think you know we we are in a hobby where the more people play the the bigger our hobby gets the bigger our business gets the bigger the the bigger the pool is I don't think like most RPG creators are not in competition with each other mm. we're in collaboration um and the more we can support and lift up other creators, I think the more we should and, yeah, and, I mean that's that's um, one of the really interesting things about like the, the RPG community is that on the whole, it is a positive one and that people are keen to help each other out. Like if you if you put up a game for pay what you want, people pay for it. And if it was negative overall, nobody would pay for anything. They just take it. And people are looking to help each other. It's just like remembering to ask. Like you can ask for help and stuff. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's communities all over the place. Like there's Reddits, there's Discords, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, and it's it's good to be as part of a part of as many of those communities as you can be. And like you, I think I think it was you that said it, Chris. Like I, I know you said like oh, just random RPGs, and you did, I know you didn't mean that in, in a bad way, but actually mm. I think that's true. Like there are so many games coming out now that aren't necessarily the traditional high fantasy, but there yeah. are stuff like obviously uh, in terms of sort of like maybe along like I, when I, I think back to Spire and this is a, like you said that sort of revolutionary sort of thing which just feel quite relevant maybe this week uh, more than more weeks but it's like the idea that we can you if you wish to you can look at it and you know experience that in a game in a safe environment but talk about those feelings presumably if you have a session zero as well and just talk to your players say hey we're going to explore these themes are people comfortable with it and we're doing it like this because it's and learning from it i think it's i I find role-playing games are an interesting way to learn stories that aren't necessarily from my real life perspective and 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 also and also stories that that aren't safe yes like it i mean going into a dungeon's not safe um but you you when you're playing role-playing games you've got access to safety tools you're among friends everything's okay and then you can go into dangerous territory and have a safe interaction with it and mm-hmm. try and process that as a person and try and learn from it and, and work out what maybe in, in, even at a base level, what you think about certain things. Um, and I think that's something RPGs do that nothing else really comes close to in my mind. Well, what are your plans for the future? Do you have any other projects you're working on just now? <laughs> or um, have you got any ideas of what you'd like to do? Reinforcing their windows. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're, we're working on something exciting at the moment. We're, yeah. uh, we're going to try and we're going. To, I'm not sure how much we can say about it really because we haven't got yeah, we, we, we haven't got any mechanics down basically. But like we're excited. Super to early stages. Yeah, that's actually keep it under wraps. But you're, you're clearly working on something then. Yeah, we are working on something. 
um, which is exciting. They're, they're never not working on something. That's true. <laughs> I, have I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. There was there was a period of two months after Heart Finish where I wasn't really working on things, and I oh, went yeah. full mad. Yeah, we went insane. <laughs> okay, so, Grant. Yeah, right, that was two weeks. It was two weeks. It, yeah, okay, it was. And then you immediately yeah. got like you, you you went through that phase where you ranked all the monsters in the monsters manual on uh, how hot they were, and then um, that, that and phase then you was six hours. And then you immediately picked up um, a whole bunch more work. So no. Okay, sorry, sorry. There was a period of two weeks where I only wrote three role playing games. Yes, oh, only. Thank Essen- you. Just, essentially, yeah. what that we're doing is, at the moment that is accurate. What we're doing at the moment is we're working on another big project. Mm-hmm. Mm but not in the same rule system. Not in the same universe. Not in the same universe. We're trying something Mm. else Um, and constantly coming up with random little ideas for one pages Mm. and things. Ooh, exciting. I mean, at the moment, we're just trying to get heart out of the door as well. So like... um, Yeah, we're in that final final production phase where I start tearing my hair out. Um, (laughs) But it's an interesting time because the creative work is, broadly speaking, done. It's we're down to conversations with fulfillment providers and getting like logistics and shipping and getting everything into the right place, mm-hmm. uh, with a couple of a couple of exceptions that have to do with the uh, the COVID like delays related to the disease, which kind of means that the two of you have a bit of time to do weird stuff and experiment and play. Try I think to it's a really important for a while that it, work. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's really important that that that, that stays play as well. Mm. Mm. Thank you guys for for joining me and talking to me about your stuff. I really enjoy listening to it. Uh, Thank you for having us. I love talking about me. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Just talking about you, Chris. (laughs) Um, I I love talking about Chris. That's correct. That's the correct way to be. I look forward to the weekly meetings. (laughs) (laughs) What's on the agenda? Oh, yes. Chris. Chris. (laughs) Ways. Um, So where can we find your work and where can we follow you on social media if you use it or... Where can we find you on the internet? Go for the shortened URL. Yeah, please go for the shortened URL. You can find us on rrdgames.com. .com. You can go there and find all of our games, published in a relatively timely fashion after the, after, after I throw them up on Twitter. Uh, you can also find all of our big serious games and all of our bundles of one pages as well and that sort of thing. Uh, you can follow me uh, at GSHowitt on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter, basically. Yeah, um, that's fair. You have an account, I, but it's not I have really an account, worth, but I'm yeah. not look, I'm not looking at that. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, fucking fair, fair enough. Mary? <laughs> Mary's muted. Okay. Fascinating. So the, one of the important things is that on our website you can access a link to get to our Discord channel, which is where all the cool kids hang out. Mm. Um, essentially we have a load of people talking about our games a lot and asking advice and all stuff and yeah. people making their own games and it's actually really nice oh. Oh. I'll also say that you can follow Mary at NewsMary on Twitter um, thank you Sorry. Hello. <laughs> my, my, internet, my internet fell off you can follow oh, okay. me on Twitter at NewsMary I tweet approximately 75% angry politics and 25% other things Hooray. just as a fair <laughs> warning because I don't want anyone to be surprised stay for the 25% brilliant well thank you so much for joining me guys that's been lovely mm, thank oh, you for yes. having us I'm hoping to do more of these special Q&A bonus episodes in future, including Q&As on the one-shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling? 
If you have a question you'd like to send in, or a submission for help, my fictional RPG character is having difficulties, please send them along to our email address. That's whatamyrollingpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.